Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter 8. That's where we'll be this morning. The name of the sermon, it's actually part two from last week. And the title is, Jesus is the High Priest of a Better Covenant. And really, when we come to this chapter, chapter 8, particularly verses 8 to 12, 8 to 13, which is where we'll be today, he is just, the author is just quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31 and Jeremiah looks forward to a new covenant that will come one day so really all that the book of Hebrews is really is just expounding upon this new covenant that we have in Christ and so let me read let's start back at at verse 7 so chapter 8 verse 7 I'm going to go all the way through the end of the chapter and then we'll pray and then begin. But keep that in mind because all it is today is just those verses from Jeremiah. But start back in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And so if you remember through the book of Hebrews, he's telling those Hebrew Christians, don't go back to that. Don't go back to that system. Christ has fulfilled that system. And so verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. They shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And even as we take the Lord's Supper today, that's what we remember. God's mercy in Christ. And then in verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy in Christ. That you commanded your love towards us and while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, for those of us who are in Christ... We were, and all of us, children of wrath. But in Christ, we are 
a new creation. And your mercy has made its way down to us. And so as Christians, as a Christian church this morning, as we gather, we pray that you would have mercy upon us even as we look at these words, that your spirit would help us to look unto Christ, that he would increase, that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, please work. Father, our sins are great, but your mercy is more. Help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've seen, we have a great high priest, one who is not after the order of Melchizedek. And for, again, for those of you who are visiting, we've been in Melchizedek for weeks now, so we're kind of coming, coming through that, and so you're probably going to miss some of the explanations there. But Jesus' priesthood is altogether different than the priesthood of the Levitical priesthood. He is after the order of Melchizedek. And his priesthood brings in a new covenant, which is what we're talking about today. And as Christians today, we are under a different covenant than that covenant under the law of Moses. And from before the foundations of the world, this covenant in Christ was in the mind and the plan of God before the foundations of the world. And this new covenant was prophesied in the Old Testament. And again, our text today comes from Jeremiah 31. Look at verses 8 and 9. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So he's talking about particularly the covenant there with the law of Moses, brought them out of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenants. They were disobedient. So I showed no concern from them, declares the Lord. And this new covenant would only come in the fullness of time, right when God planned for it to come. When, as the scripture tells us, God sent forth his son in the fullness of time to be our high priest. Look at verse 7 of chapter 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And as we saw last week, <clears throat> this new covenant is established upon three promises, or three things. First, a better place. <clears throat> In other words, <clears throat> excuse me, this covenant, new covenant, is established upon a better place. In other words, instead of the place of the temple where the priest went in, the high, the, the high priest would go into this physical place, into the Holy of Holies, where is this better place established now? Right through Hebrews, Jesus has established this place where? In heaven. So it's not limited to the earth. He is in heaven. So we've seen that last week. Better place. And also, a better person. This new covenant is based upon a better person. That old covenant was based upon that high priest. But who was he? He was a man. He was a sinful man. He had to offer sacrifices and gifts for himself first and his family and then for the sins of the people before he did anything. But who is Jesus? Jesus says, if you go back here, I think it's, it's here in chapter 7. Um, look at verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. 
holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. And so Jesus, what did he do when he went into the Holy of Holies? Well, he offered himself on the cross. And that's what we remember today as we take the Lord's Supper. And then he ascended to heaven where he sits now at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so today... As we take the Lord's Supper together together, and we remember these words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, we move on to the second part of this sermon. We remember, and I have three better promises. So today the, the, the sermon is this. This new covenant established in Christ is based upon better promises. This is the third P, the place, the people, the person, and now The promises. So what are these three promises? I'm going to give them to you now, and then we'll get going. First one is this. In the new covenant, God transforms the whole person. So that's number one. In the new covenant, the person, the whole person is transformed. Number two. In this new covenant, all covenant members will know the Lord. All of them. So that's number two. And then finally, number three. In the new covenant... Our sins are forgiven fully and definitely. And I'll spend less time on that third one as we take the Lord's Supper. But here we go. In the New Covenant, number one, in the New Covenant, God transforms the whole person. Look at verse 10. This is where I get this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And notice this part. I will put my laws into their minds... And I will write them on their hearts. Here we see a complete transformation of the person that is promised in this new covenant. So he speaks of the the mind and of the heart. And really to say the mind and the heart in this way is to emphasize the entire person. The new covenant in Christ, brothers and sisters, is powerful. In a way that the old covenant was not. It's powerful to change us so that all of our mind and our heart and our soul and our being, we could could say that in many ways, all that we are. So if you're a Christian here today and you are a part of the new covenant, you are in Christ, every bit of you is changed. Because the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And so when we think about the context of Hebrews... If we go back to Israel in the Old Testament and look at their history, what do we find? Just read it. I'm, I'm in 1 Chronicles now, so I just finished 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. What do we find? As a whole, I think we see a people who is very disobedient. As a whole, there's always the remnant. But as a whole, we find a very disobedient people, Israel as a nation. We find a people who find the commands of God burdensome. I must ask, does does anyone here feel that the commands of God are are burdensome? If we go back to God's covenant with Abraham way back before Moses, the promises that he made to Abraham, if disobedience were to continue, then how can those promises ever be fulfilled? If they continue, if all Abraham's descendants continue in disobedience, how will they ever be fulfilled? 
And then when we get to Moses and the law given to him, we see very clearly this principle. And this has always been the principle, God's principle. Obey my commands, you will be blessed. But if you do not obey my commands, you will be cursed. It's all the way through the Bible. It's just what we see. And so when we think about Israel, think about their history. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north, Assyria came down in, I guess, seven, I think 722 B.C. and took them away. Then in the, the southern kingdom, the two tribes, which was Judah, what happened to them just a 140 years later? In 586 or thereabouts, 587, they were carried away. They had broken God's commands, God's laws. They'd broken His covenant. And then, so God, there we see the curses. They come to Israel, and they are carried away. And, and then later, yes, they are brought back to the land. But then what happens after that? Well, they continue to be disobedient. As a whole, they are disobedient. Even as they attempted to obey the law under, the, under this, <clears throat> the law of Moses, this old covenant under the law of Moses. And even when you get up to Jesus' day, when there was probably the best outward keeping of the law of Moses, arguably in the history of Israel, the outward keeping of it, Jesus still pronounces all kinds of woes. And what does he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he comes and he says, listen to some of these woes that he gives to these Pharisees and these lawyers and these religious leaders in Luke chapter 11. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. People walk over them without knowing it. Woe to you lawyers, Jesus says, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. You yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. Woe to you lawyers. For you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering it. So I, I read those woes because what is Jesus getting at in those, in those woes? If you read more of it, particularly at the beginning, Jesus is not just talking about our outward obedience. He's going down deep. In these woes, Jesus is addressing what? The heart. The heart of man. He is addressing the heart. Let me just give a little, just some thoughts on this and stop for a moment and give, give an example. What do you think, now, Emily, I'm not doing this because of you and, and little Nora, my granddaughter, because we've all had, those of you who had kids, and I use this illustration often, but what do you think your little one-year-old, <clears throat> or why do you think your little one-year-old, when you've, Never taught them to say no to your commands or even showed them, hey, this is how you throw a tantrum. How many, why, why, where do you think that comes from? And then you give your commands. All we are as parents at one, at, 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 for a one-year-old, we're just giving them commands. Commands, don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this. 
don't touch that, don't hit this. Don't. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, the tantrums just like explode. And you're like, where did that come? That's just what, been the last month, Emily? Just the, the other day, she just picks up, the, we're saying, no, no, no. She picks up the books and says, no, no, no. We're like, well, what? what happened there? Why are you not obeying, you know, our commands? I think like, I think about a rudder. A rudder is <clears throat> used to, to turn the ship. And uh, the thing is, if you think about our kids, you are not the rudder. They have their own little rudder inside their heart. So in one sense, you are steering the ship and you're turning the wheel with all of your commands, but your little one has their own little rudder themselves. Now, I'm not saying that our commands are not good because they are good and they are necessary. But at the end of the day, parents, we have no power over the heart of our child. We have great power over what they do. And we can bring the rod and we can make them obey and whatever. And we do that. And they're all good and they're necessary. But at the end of the day, what do we want from our children? <clears throat> we want their heart. So they say, I love you, Mama. I love you, Daddy. When you say, will you clean your room? They say, absolutely. Because, <clears throat> why? Because, not just because you give a command. Because they're going to do it, okay? Because you give the command, they're going to do it. Maybe, eventually. But they do it because they, they love you. And so, this is something that the Old Covenant could not do in the people of Israel. That's why we continue to see constant disobedience. Disobedience to God's commands. So, <clears throat> the Old Covenant could not reach down into the depths of the heart and transform the entire person, the nation of Israel at that time. And this truth... <clears throat> brings out the beauty of Matthew 5.17. Christ says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And the new covenant we have in Christ was prophesied over and over. It's not just found in Jeremiah. We could go especially to Ezekiel, other places. But it was prophesied many times. One verse, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. <clears throat> And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord. So God's doing something. He's saying, one day I'm going I'm to circumcise the heart and, you will, and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your, all your mind, and all of your soul so that you may live. Isn't that the first commandment? God says do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we can mix around these words, heart, soul, mind, strength. All of that is given, because sometimes the word heart is used of the entire person. <clears throat> and so all of those words are speaking about down deep. And so we use, in, in English, that's what we use, the word heart. So with the coming of Christ, we see a difference in the nature of the old covenant and the new covenant. The first one, the law of Moses and that covenant there, was powerless to bring about obedience. Obedience from the heart in all of its covenant members. This is why Jesus eventually preaches over and over to the heart. 
And so, here's something, this is a principle. Greg and I were talking about this just yesterday. This is the key to life. Your heart, right to God, everything else will follow. That is the most important thing we can hear today. Your heart gets right, everything else will follow. And God's commands are not burdensome. And this is the powerful promise of the new covenant and our truth right now. The new covenant, in the new covenant, this promise is God says, I'll take care of that part. I'm going to change it. Not in the way I didn't do in the old covenant. This is why I repeated this verse. <clears throat> if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he or she is a new creation. And it isn't merely the heart, <laughs> but it is, it's, it's the mind as well. They go together. <clears throat> and again, often the heart includes all of that, mind and will and affections. And this is why when Christ came, when I think about my own conversion, and, and I say it like this, when Christ came to me in the powerful way that he did, I remember hearing the gospel. I remember hearing Jesus died for my sins. <clears throat> I had grown up in it. I had heard it my whole life. But only when I was 19 did when someone came and gave me the words that I had heard my whole life. I said, hmm. With my mind, Jesus died for my sins. The message that I had heard growing up, it made sense to my mind. And I thought, that is right. That is true. And then what does my heart do? When I speak about it in a little different way, then my heart said, that's, that's what, or my, my affection said, that's what I want. That's what I desire. And I can tell you, if you're a Christian here today, especially if you became a Christian a little older, you know what I'm talking about. There was a transformation. My friends used to say, you will not make it six months. As I was playing there, <clears throat> baseball at Appalachian, and I was hanging out with all the team, doing all of our partying and doing all the things we were doing, and then all of a sudden, John's not there. They're thinking, this will pass. This will pass. But the new covenant makes sure that this does not happen. So let me ask you a couple questions. This morning, as you hear this, when you think about your own heart and your love towards the commands of God, particularly the first command, to love God, can you say with King David, who was a great sinner, but says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Is that what you, you normally think, normally say over a period of month or two months or over a year? Can you say... As, the, as David also, for a day, God, in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. If this kind of delight is found in you today, and you can say, yeah, that's my delight, then you understand the words of Jesus this morning when we take the Lord's Supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And at the end of the day, it will be the love of Christ in the new covenant that compels you to do what is right. And this is the difference between a real Christian and a Pharisee. This is why merely preaching good works of the law does not work if we do not get to the heart. 
at the end of the day, if we are not transformed completely, then we will be, if we continue to come to church, continue to try to do the things of God, we will be self-righteous, just like the Pharisees, trying to get to God our own way, because our culture says, or whoever says this is the right thing, or your pastor says this is the right thing to do. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in the New Covenant, we celebrate the most blessed truth that in Christ we really can love. You really can, if you are a Christian, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we can keep His commandments with a heart that says, God, I'm going to go and tell someone about Jesus. Why? Because I love, I love you. Or I am going to be honest in my dealings at work or on my taxes. Or I'm going to be, I'm going to love my wife as Christ loves the church. Or I'm going to love my husband and respect my husband. Why? Because it's what the Bible tells us to do. And we love to do the things that God tells us to do. This is what New Covenant Christians do. Three quick applications before we move on to number two. And by the way, that's my longest point for the day out of the three. But here's an application. God must change the heart. It's like parents, we cannot change the heart of our little kids throwing the tantrums. And so even when you're praying for, that's one, one of the reasons we should pray. I'm coming to that in a minute, but pray that God would change the hearts of those whom you're praying for because we cannot do it. We can't just give them some external Right, come to church and you're going to be better. No, that's not at all what we pray. We pray that God would change the heart. And only God can change the heart. Another application. Only the gospel of Christ has such power. Romans 1.16. Anybody know that one? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the what? The power of of God unto what? Salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Greek, the Gentile. That is the new covenant. That is the power of the new covenant. And only the gospel. So we don't have this new covenant gospel until we have the incarnation, the birth, the life, the death of Christ on the cross, His resurrection, and then His ascension to heaven. We don't have the new covenant until we get to the gospel. And so if we want hearts to change, what's that mean we must do? When we leave this place, as parents, we teach them to our... That is the... As especially in settings like this, with lots of, of parents with young kids, that is the place we do it the most, in all honesty. We teach our kids the gospel. But we also, every opportunity we get with our neighbor, or if we... <clears throat> talk to someone at work, or we talk to someone on the phone, or whatever we do, it, if we're not telling people about the gospel, then it is only the gospel that can change the heart, the gospel of the power of this new covenant. And so that's another application. Another application. What do you do today? When you hear this point, you go, yeah, John, I, I get it. I, I see what you're saying is true. So what do you do? Pray this way. And I, I can promise, based upon the, the Bible, if you pray this way, God's going to answer your prayers. So pray this way. God, 
change my heart. Pray. God, you control, you command the heart, the rudder steers everything. You are the one who does that. Change my heart. And if you're a Christian, pray, God, keep my heart. God, do not let my heart love the idols of this world. God, you see these kinds of prayers? Those are prayers about the heart. Brothers and sisters, if we pray such prayers, God will work greatly in our hearts. And then what will happen? We will follow the commands of Christ out of love, not out of duty. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, we will not find the, the, the commands of Christ burdensome. So that's truth number one. In the new covenant, the better promise is this. God will change, transform the person. So that's number one. Number two, in the new covenant, all covenant members will know the Lord. All of them. There's my focus on this too. Point number two, this promise. Look at verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So in the new covenant today in Christ, there will not be a mixed group as there was in Israel. And I'll explain this more in a moment. But there would only be one group. As we've seen, every single person of this group will be recipients of this new covenant. Every single one of them in Christ will be transformed. So for a moment now, think back with me again to Israel. What do we see there? Under the old covenant, particularly from the law of Moses on. Throughout the majority of their history again, they were a mixed community. You might say, what do you mean, John, they were a mixed community? Well, I mean mixed here. Some had faith. Some did not, right? In fact, most were disobedient. For their, now, some periods of their history, there were more believers, more faith than other periods. But most of their time, Paul talks about it often, that they were, they were all circumcised, but they weren't circumcised where? In the heart. And so there was a mixed community. Some had faith, some didn't have faith. And yes, all of them were Israelites. All of them were circumcised. All of them were part of that nation of Israel. They were a theocracy, separate from the Gentile nations as the people of God. But, for the most part of their history, only a small part of them had faith. And as we've seen, most of them were very disobedient. And most of them only gave lip service to faith. So under the Old Covenant... Most were, we would say, to use a theological term, unregenerate. They had not been transformed, as we saw in truth number one. But in this new covenant, look back there again at verse 11. For they shall all know me. From what? From the least of them to the greatest of them will know the Lord. Now, a good example of this may... <clears throat> Just think about a modern Christian family, particularly if you're, and some of you might be able to, to understand this. Let's say there are two parents, husband and wife, have six or seven, eight children, grow up as a family. They teach all their kids the same way. All their kids get the same commands. They get the same love. They get the same instructions. They get the same food. They get the same everything in the family. And then, after many years, the kids grow up. 
Well, let's say maybe two of those kids reject the gospel and they do not become Christians, at least up till that time. Well, think about them. Are they still a part of the family? Of course they are. They're still children of the parents in that regard. Those unbelieving kids are still in the family. They are still the children of their parents, even if they do not believe. Well, that's very much like what it was like in the old, under the Old Covenant. There was the political nation of Israel as the people of Jehovah. But as regards faith, only a small part, usually a remnant, had faith. But under the New Covenant now, shift your thinking from the Old to the New. Under the New Covenant, the political dimensions fall away. In other words, who are we called today? We are the church. And we aren't a theocracy in the same way that Israel was a theocracy. Political dimensions fall away. We are not church and state together like they were. Today, the church consists of, of who? Believers from who? Every tribe, nation, nation, and tongue. The nations are being evangelized. There's Christians. I have Christian friends in every country I've ever been to. They're all there. Whereas before, it was all the theocratic nation of Israel. This means that all believers together throughout the world make up what we call, what the Bible calls, the church. So there are people like us, Salisbury, Rockwell, Charlotte, going further, Mexico, Canada, Russia, all over the world that are meeting just like we are. They are a part of this new covenant family. And all of them know the Lord. He is their God. They are His people. I mean, we say that today. He is our God. We are His people. All of those of this new covenant are regenerate. If you think about our first truth, if the new covenant promises this powerful gospel transformation, then if all of them will know me, then who are the all? Those who have been transformed. Those who believe. Those who have faith, those who are in Christ, are these members of this new covenant. So let me just bring something up here. Did you know that this principle that I'm teaching right now is really what separates, this separates a lot of Christians, but it's, this is what separates Presbyterians from Baptists? It's not just some verse about baptism, it is this principle this is why we baptize only believers. It is based upon this principle of the new covenant. This is why we believe that each local church is made up of real, transformed believers. This is why we believe as elders. So when you think about our elders, the best way to guard the flock would be to do what? To do our best to make sure that those who come in have been transformed. That's why we, we, we urge and wait, say wait until we see fruit 
in the lives of our, of our children when they grow a little older. It's one of the practical things of wisdom that, that, we, that we try to do. And so as elders, that's why we have such a long class and we have a when we come to the end of the class and someone wants to become a member here at Grace, then we ask for their testimony. We ask their understanding of the gospel. We look at their life. And then we give a one-month waiting period where everybody could, could come and say, well, I, let's consider the, this person's life. We do all of that. And we can't always guard that way. But that's the best way as a church that we guard this new covenant principle. This is why we only allow those who are baptized believers in Christ to take the Lord's Supper. This is why I believe in the book of Hebrews, he is speaking to new covenant members and that none of them will apostatize. Because we read in 1 John 2.19, John says this about those who left the faith. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Here's another implication or a thought concerning that goes along with this. When we think about ourselves as the church, the church is the new Israel. Look at verse 8. He says, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with who? The house of Israel. He addresses the house of Israel and Judah with the promise of this new covenant. Jesus was a Jewish man from a Jewish nation, and to whom that nation all, they are given the promises, they were given the law, and with whom God made all of his covenants with that nation. And then if we read in the New Testament, it says, salvation belongs, Jesus says to the woman at the well, salvation belongs to the Jews. But here we are today. Somebody might be of Jewish origin, I'm not sure. That's not the point. We are here today as Gentiles, worshiping God. How do we worship Him? Well, if you go and you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you see that some interesting words there. As Gentiles, <clears throat> here's the tree over here. We have been grafted into that tree. Romans eleven nineteen. Now, the church does not replace Israel in any way, shape, or form. Don't ever hear me say that. In Christ and this new covenant, we are the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel. We are the new covenant going out to the nations now. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. So today, there is only one family of faith. Together, both Jew and Gentile, those who believe on the Lord Jesus are one. And I'm praying, pray for me this week. I'm thinking about preaching a sermon next week, or even practically. I'm going to hit that, maybe not next week, but I hope to, but soon, about what that looks like here at Grace and what it should look like in the church. There is no distinction today. Whether you are rich or poor or 
you're from this class or that class, or whether you're from Jew or Gentile or yellow or red or black or white, there is no distinction in Christ. All of them, though, will know me. Finally, this morning, we've seen these two promises. Transformation of the person, complete. Second, all of them will know me in this new covenant. Final promise, and very briefly. In this new covenant, sins are fully forgiven. And this is practically as we lead into the Lord's Supper. Thinking about Jesus' words. This is my body broken for you. This is cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. Talking about our sins being forgiven. In the new covenant, our sins are forgiven completely, fully, definitely. Look at verse 12. This is where I get this. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Brothers and sisters, this morning, in Christ, who is the mediator of a, a better covenant, our sins are forgiven completely, fully. Under the old covenant, particularly with Mosaic law, those sacrifices of blood of bulls and goats could not atone, cover sins fully. They could not bring genuine and lasting forgiveness. But in Christ, who is our great high priest, who is the author of a better covenant, our sins are forgiven. Today we remember Jesus' words, this is my body broken for you. We know that the blood of those animals that those priests brought could not cover, ultimately could not cover, it would just cover for the year, for the year, for the year, for the year, for the year. And that's why there's fault with both their disobedience and with the covenant itself in the sense that it could not do what this new covenant in Christ could do, which is fully cover our sins. In the old covenant, if we even we go back to the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, they were always offering up sacrifices. Do you remember the first time Adam and Eve tried to cover their sins? What did they do? They, they put on fig leaves. But, but then we see this first death. Then we see God, no, brings them skins of, of animals that had been slain, sacrificed in their place, so they could take those skins and cover up even Adam and Eve. And all those were just pictures, right? As we've seen in chapter 8, verse 9, they serve a copy, shadow of the heavenly things to come. And so at, at that time of that priesthood, it continued day after day, week after week, month after month, and so on. But today, we have a great high priest. Open your Bibles there. Go back to chapter 1 of Hebrews. Just turn over a few pages. We're going to read a couple verses together as we close out this sermon and take the, take the supper together. Today, we have a great high priest. Look over at chapter 1, verse 3. We have one sacrifice. When Jesus said, it is finished, the sacrifice was done. His blood shed out of his body so that he died. That's when it finished. And I always wonder, does he take his blood to heaven? I don't think so. Blood was shed there. It's finished. Took himself as our great high priest, as the one who did die. And so... 
Look at chapter 1, verse 3. After making purification for sins. Today, if you are a Christian, your sins are forgiven. And we remember that in the Lord's Supper. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. This is talking about his incarnation. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Because of what? Why is he crowned with glory and honor today? Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. If you are a Christian today, if you are in Christ, you have eternal life. Christ tasted this, even we could even say eternal death that we deserved. The wrath of God came down upon him. He did die and he took all of the punishment that we deserve upon himself. Look at chapter 2 verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore he had to be made like his brothers. Again, it's incarnation in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to do what? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. There is the sacrifice, the wrath of God coming down upon him. And then making it okay now that we are to make our way to God. Look at chapter 7, verse 27. He has no need like those high priests. Here's Comparing the Levitical priesthood with Melchizedek. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Today, brothers and sisters, Christ, if you are a Christian, Christ died for your sins. If you are in Christ today, your sins have been covered and they are fully taken away. He's thrown them as far as the east is from the west. All gone. That is what our Lord Jesus has done in his death on the cross for us. And so I must say too, before we take the Lord's Supper, if you are not a Christian, these things, you, you listen to these words and you go, wow, I don't really, I don't know if I've ever really delighted in God. I've just gone to church. Well, maybe... The, the new covenant, the power of the gospel has not come to you. I would say to you even now where you sit, look unto Christ. Trust Him. Maybe you've been calling yourself a Christian for many years. And then for the first time you say, that's not me, John. Well, right now, trust Him. Look unto Him. Call upon Him. Repent of your sins. You don't have to vocally say it. Say it in your heart. And pray, God, take my heart, change my heart, make me delight in the commands that you've given and in the commands of Christ. What beautiful promises we have, brothers and sisters, of the new covenant. In Christ, we are new creation. We're fully transformed. In Christ, all of us have this transformation. We all know Him. And finally, in Christ, our sins are completely Forgiven, past, present, and future. So this is what we remember. Jesus says, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember 
me. And then when we do that today, as a Christian, by the way, if you're visiting with us, we do practice open communion in the sense that if you are a baptized believer in Christ from another church, not under discipline somewhere, but you have come to us just visiting, you, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. We'll have someone from each row, <clears throat> just this side will go over and, and pick the elements from there. This side will pick the elements from there and come back and then we will take them together um, at this time. So for a moment, let's just take just a moment of silence and just think about the sermon, think about these words for just a minute. <clears throat> and then I'll lead us that way and then we'll pray and take the Lord's Supper together. Let's just spend a moment just thinking about these words today. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words today and thank you for this new covenant in Christ. And so, Father, it helps us to see these words from Hebrews, to know that we are new covenant Christians and that this new covenant has been ushered in only through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, after making purification for our sins, now sits as our great high priest forever, always interceding, always mediating, always advocating, advocating for us, always pleading on, on, on His own behalf for us that His, and God has accepted His once-for-all sacrifice. This is not the sacrifice again, as many take it to be. Our sacrifice happened when Christ died on the cross. And we remember, and Jesus tells us to remember His death. So, I pray that you would give us grace this morning as we take the Lord's Supper. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.